Well, good morning, church. My name is uh, Jeff Crick. I am a co-chair with Kelly Gates uh, for your uh, pastor search committee. Um, last week, we were able to have the excitement to introduce you to our lead pastor candidate. Let me uh, just emphasize and correct a little bit of a, uh, a verbiage error. Last uh, um, service, uh, our lead pastor candidate is here to be presented to you. And uh, next Sunday, immediately after service, you get to vote. And, uh, but as we shared with you as a team last week, we stood up here in unity to uh, introduce to you Heath and Casey and the girls, Audrey and Adeline on the video, and today we have them in person. Um, so uh, give a good warm welcome from Fruit Cove for Heath and uh, Casey and the girls. Um, But before he comes up, um, we had invited them to come in uh, yesterday. We had a, a wonderful Q&A scheduled because many of you submitted over 40 questions online. And I know you're curious about a lot of different things, things that we have had the privilege of asking him and vetting him over and over, right? And uh, so we want to get those answers to you as soon as possible. So since we weren't able to do the Q&A, some of you were able to come back last night and meet him several hundred people, I don't know what the number was, but uh, after, uh, he'll share a little bit more about their journey to get here, but um, after sleeping overnight in a terminal Friday night, they finally made it here around 2.30 p.m. on the first coast. Uh, quick shower, change, dinner with staff, and then two hours of meeting, greeting, and shaking hands under our pavilion, so thank you for doing that. And Casey worked a whole 12-hour shift the day before coming, so, but we're glad you're here. Um, um, God is at work and he's been amazing. So because he didn't get a chance uh, during the Q&A, we, we had asked him to share some of his testimony during that time. He's going to work some of that into the sermon today. So we appreciate your patience and kindness that we went over a little bit this morning. But I think you're going to enjoy hearing every single bit of it. Um, so again, today you get to meet our lead pastor candidate. We're so excited as a team. Um, the search team, the staff, many others who have had a chance to meet him. Uh, you get to hear from him directly today and we couldn't be more excited, but let me pray. Before I do that, happy Mother's Day from the search team to you. What an exciting Sunday um, to have them here to be celebrating. That worship was amazing. Um, so let's pray and as, as Heath uh, brings the word today. Lord Father, thank you uh, for this day you've given us. You are so kind, you are so good, and we are so thankful that for whatever reason, Lord, you brought us all here at this moment, for this time, for such a time as this. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, mold us, and guide us to be more like you. And that ultimately, Lord, no matter what we do, whether it's worshiping, delivering the word, looking for the next lead pastor, we just pray, Lord, that it brings all glory and honor and praise to you. And so we, la we do ask for your anointing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I know what he just said, but I also know what you just heard. And what you heard is that we're running over and you're going to be late to lunch and it's the new guy's fault. And so <laughs> I, um, I hope that you give me some grace and that uh, you don't have 
lunch reservations immediately at noon, but we're going to get you out of here. I promise we are uh, so thankful to be here, but we're tired too. And so we're excited to be able to just be together with you on Mother's Day. I told the, one of the staff members at the beginning of the first service that it's nothing like having about 100 kids on stage leading us in worship to make the speaker an emotional basket case before he comes on the platform uh, to spend time with you in the Word today. And so that was a tremendous blessing to be able to see our kids and to be able to have them lead us in worship this morning. And so uh, to you, to the moms in the room, you've heard it said multiple times, let me add my Happy Mother's Day to you as well. Um, But I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to the spiritual mothers in the room. And what I mean by that is there's a group of ladies in this room who, though they might be biological mothers, they're also spiritual mothers. These are the women in the church who love you, not because they have to, but because they want to. And because they are investing in the lives of our children, and because they're investing in the lives of our communities and our families. And, you know, I love watching the children lead worship, but what I loved sitting over there is all of the adults down here who are investing and encouraging and leading our children and teaching them what it means to worship, what it means to be in this room, what it means to make the name of Jesus known amongst their peers. And as we prepared to spend some time together in the Word today, the the team did ask me to share a little bit about uh, my story and to share a little bit about who I am leading up to this place. And, you know, I, I am thankful that I was blessed by being a church kid and getting to be a part of the church choirs and getting to be in all of the church activities. My uh, dad was the sound guy at my home church. My mom was the assistant choir director at my home church. My grandmother was the pianist for 34 years at my home church. And when I was uh, little, I would sit as my dad's protege in the sound booth, and I would help push buttons. And at that moment in time, I was the uh, cassette, tape re- cassette tape flipper um, in the middle of the service. That was my duty. Um, worship ended, flip the cassette tape, get the sermon on the other side for our homebound ministry. That was my life as a church kid. And to get to be a part of the worship ministry and the things that happen in this space, this was not a foreign space to me. And this is a foreign space to a lot of our children now. And and it's my heart that we see a church community that embraces every generation and that our children recognize that this is their church also and that they have an important part to play in who we are as the body of Christ and that we all have an important part to play as you invest in them, as they get to lead under your leadership and under your example and under your ministry, we as the church have the ability to change our communities because of the work of God and what he does starting in this room and how we carry that outside of these walls. You know, it was summer of 1994 that my home church pastor that I had heard share the gospel multiple times shared the gospel at the end of vacation Bible school. On a Friday afternoon, he shared the gospel with a bunch of kids, and for the first time, in the best way that I could, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And I responded to the invitation call at Vacation Bible School, came forward. My pastor's wife took me and a couple of other kids to the side. She counseled us, prayed with us. I prayed to receive Jesus as a result of the faithful service of volunteers like you just saw leading right here in ministries that make an impact for eternity like we just got to witness 
right now, this morning, by having these children on the stage. And so it is a very special way, I believe, for me to be able to start and to share my story because I got to see a little bit about my faith journey just watching this morning. You know, I, being that church kid, we were there for everything, um, and we were in all the things. And so there was not a time that the church doors were open that we were not there because it meant if the doors were open, we were either worshiping or we were rehearsing for worship, and I had to be there for both of those. And so we were a part of everything that happened in the local church and got to really just be a part of the church community growing up until I was about 13 years old. When I was 13, my parents went through a pretty bitter divorce. Um, wrecked my world, and if you know anything about church life, when your parents are in leadership and they go through a very public, messy divorce, they get asked to step down from things. And so my mom was no longer the assistant choir director, and my dad was no longer the sound guy, and people had opinions and said things, and people were not nice, and I was the oldest of three kids, and so I became the pawn back and forth between my parents, and I became the kid who, who heard all of the negative things said about my family and all of the challenges, and as a 13-year-old, that was a really rough season for me to walk in the local church. It was a rough season for me to, to want to keep my eyes on Jesus when I saw all the mess that was happening in my family and about my family. And yet there were some people who recognized the call of God on my life and who were committed to making sure that I kept my eyes fixed on Jesus. When I was 13 years old, the church didn't have another sound guy when they asked my dad to step down. And so I became the sound guy at my church. And by virtue of being the sound guy, I sat under the stewardship and the leadership of a music minister who served for over three decades at my home church and who invested in my life, who took time to shepherd me and to speak truth over me. And there were other people, men and women in my life who recognized that there's this teenage boy who needs support and who needs encouragement and it was my faith community in the midst of the brokenness of my home, it was my faith community that kept my face focused on Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the church, and I'm so thankful for those who loved Jesus more than they loved me, but because they loved Jesus, they also loved me and made a huge impact in my life. However, though I loved the church and there were a lot of people that made a big impact in my life, this was not at all what I wanted to do with it. I had every intention um, of making a big name for myself. I wanted to be a sports medicine doctor. I was going to Florida State University, go Knowles. I, um, I know what territory I'm in. Um, I'm also praying for your redemption. And so, um, I was, I was going to Florida State. I was gonna be a sports medicine doctor. That was, that was the plan that Heath Woolman made for Heath Woolman's life. And the summer I graduated high school, Central Florida got hit by a crazy hurricane season. And my mom, who was a single parent of three kids and a homeowner, had the skylight in our house um, failed and our house flooded. The shopping center that her business was in flooded and she knew she needed liability insurance, but she didn't quite understand the need for property insurance and so she lost everything. My grandmother, who was a widow and literally lived a block away, had an oak tree go through the front of her living room. And so 13 days before school was supposed to start in Tallahassee, um, our world got flipped upside down. And as the oldest of three, there was no way I could go. And I got kind of frustrated with God, but we said, all right, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna help rebuild. I'll do school for two years, check that box, and then I'm getting out of here as fast as I could. 
So I lived with my mom, sister, brother, two cats, and a dog in a fifth-wheel trailer for 19 months in our driveway while we were trying to get things rebuilt. Went to a Christian school right across the um, highway from the neighborhood that I grew up in. Said, I'm going to do my two years here, and then I'm going to get out of here. And at my home church, I wanted to be plugged in and involved, and I was serving in the sound ministry. But outside of that, if, if you weren't a teenager or a senior adult, there wasn't much for you in the middle. And so I became the announcements and games guy in the youth group that I had just graduated from. And so at 18, I go back and I'm doing announcements and doing the games with the teenagers um, for about a year. And so I'm a freshman in college. I'm doing that in my home church. The next summer, the student pastor comes to us as a volunteer team on Wednesday night, tells us that he feels called to go back to seminary and he's leaving. A few weeks later, the pastor approached me and asked, um, at 19, asked, Heath, we, we don't really have anybody. Would you mind to lead the youth group until we find someone? And I told him, no, I would do not want to do that. I, I was out of here in less than a year. I was going to school. This was not the plan. And we went to family dinner. We did family dinner every Sunday afternoon. And so now we're in my grandmother's fifth wheel trailer on tray tables. Um, <laughs> having family dinner at my grandmother's house, and I tell my family what the, what the pastor said to me, and my grandmother picks up her fork, and he point, she points it at my face, and she said, God gave you an opportunity to serve? And you told him no? And then she just went back to eating. <laughs> and it's like lightning from heaven in my heart. And I went to church that night, and I told the pastor, I don't I don't know what I'm doing, but if you need somebody to help, I'll help you lead the youth group until you find somebody. And seven years later, they had not found anybody. <laughs> and God used that experience to just break my heart for ministry. I was licensed in my home church while serving. I was ordained in my home church while serving. I finished a teaching degree at the school I was going to. I had my first seminary experience online while serving at my home church. Casey and I were married in our home church and served together for a bit there. We got to serve in a law enforcement environment bivocationally while we were there together. Um, that's another crazy story for another day. But God was really good to us and he used my home church and those same spiritual parents those same men and women who invested in my life as a child, who supported and encouraged me and who saw something in me, come alongside me and help form me into a life of ministry. And there were volunteers in the youth group who would remind me regularly that they changed my diapers in the nursery. <laughs> and, and yet these were the people that I got to serve and lead with. These were the people that made such an indelible mark in my life and so after a season of ministry there that was incredible, God called Casey and me um, to seminary. And so we, we went back to school. We felt like God was calling us to a, a more intense time of preparation. And we moved to Kentucky, had the opportunity to pastor a church in Kentucky while we were there. Um, great church in rural Kentucky, about an hour outside of Louisville, prided itself in being a church that gave young preacher boys the opportunity to cut their teeth behind the pulpit. I was the 30th pastor, not counting interims, in the church's 100-year history. You can do the math on that and recognize the environment there, but these are people that just saw an opportunity to leverage their resources to make an impact in generations of pastors and their families, and they loved us well. And we were committed to them, and we were there. We bought our first house in Kentucky. Casey got our first labor and delivery nursing job in Kentucky, and that's what we believe God had called us to. A few years after being there, though, God made it very evident to us that he was transitioning us, transitioning us after I graduated. Um, ended up at First Baptist Church, Kissimmee, Florida, right outside of Disney. 
and had the privilege of serving there for eight years in a number of capacities, but ending as the discipleship pastor, where I got to lead all of the ministries, discipleship ministries, generational ministries to the local church, before God transitioned us to Fort Worth, Texas, where I now serve as the chief of staff at Southwestern Seminary and have the privilege of serving as a faculty member in our educational ministries department, helping teach and equip others who are getting ready to go into the ministry. And so our journey has been unique, but God has been so faithful, and he has used those spiritual parents in our life. He has used those people in our lives to help equip us and to shape us and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Even though we were serving, there were still people saying, keep, keep the faith. There are still people saying, don't look away. There are still people saying, remember what Jesus has done in your life. And as I've been wrestling with what to preach this morning, in view of a call on Mother's Day, all of the different dynamics with kids leading worship, God led me to 3 John. And I would invite you to join with me to the, in the book of 3 John this morning. Very unique passage for what we're doing today. It was not a passage that I thought I wanted to preach, but it is one that God has not let me walk away from. And so we're going to be in 3 John in the first four verses. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible today, but I would invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence and honor of the reading of God's Word. As we're in 3 John, towards the end of the New Testament, 3 John, beginning in verse 1. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity of the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. You may be seated. Father, we pray today that you reveal the truth of your word to our hearts and that you challenge us, God, as your church to walk in that truth. Lord, teach us and equip us, refine us even more in these moments so that we can live out this faith, so that we can heed this instruction, so that we can follow your spirit in the world that you've called us in. Help us, Father, see what it is you have for us. Give us ears to hear today, God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the third John, John is writing to the church. It's a very small letter that's tacked with his other two letters we see at the end of the New Testament. And as John's addressed the church in 1 John, then he addresses a, a lady in the church in 2 John. Now he's addressing this, this man named Gaius. John's probably in Ephesus while he's writing this letter, and he's sending the letters to the church, and he sends this, really this just personal note to this leader in the church under John's purview, a man by the name of Gaius. And he shares his love for him. He prays concern over him. He encourages him to continue to keep the faith, but then he also highlights, really, the conduct that he's hearing about in the church that Gaius serves. And he's sharing, really, the value of good conduct in the church and the need to avoid the negative conduct or the evil conduct in the church. And later in this short little letter, we see the example of good conduct really demonstrated in this man named Demetrius. And then we see this example of evil conduct represented in this man named Diotrephes. And these men who are serving the church are really polar opposite examples of what it is that we're called to do as we love and as we lead and as we serve from the local church. 
And so because of his relationship with Gaius, he's writing him and he's saying, listen, I'm going to point a couple of things out to you. But he encourages Gaius to embrace, to imitate, to follow the good conduct that he sees in Demetrius. In fact, when you see in verse 11, it says that those who do good are from God, but the one who does evil has not seen God. And so John is writing this little letter to Gaius saying, listen, I am so proud of you, but I'm encouraging you to keep the faith. Don't follow after this brother who's not demonstrating good godly conduct, but rather demonstrate in your own life this good conduct that you see in Demetrius, because this is what God has called you to When I read this letter, I think about those people who have invested in my life. Here's John, spiritual father John, Pastor John, if you will, writing to his protege in the faith. And he's encouraging him to keep the faith. And I mentioned the music minister at my home church, Brother Ed Strickland. Ed Strickland is a Southern gospel singer, is a Southern gospel singer with a deep bass voice. And for some reason, as I studied this letter this week, the Apostle John has Ed Strickland's voice in my mind. Because I can just hear... Time and time again, that man speaking truth over my life. I can hear the words, now son, when my life is in turmoil and I'm trying to figure out what the right decision is to make. I can, I can hear the words, the greater the battle, the greater the victory. You go through trial for the glory of God. I can, I can hear all of these things that that man spoke in my life time and time and time again. And that's the relationship that we see here between John and Gaius. John writes in verse one, look what he says, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. John was his elder by age, probably, but spiritually, most definitely. He was a spiritual elder in Gaius' life, and and he is encouraging him as that spiritual mentor. You know, we, we celebrate the moms in the room, both the physical, biological moms, but also the spiritual moms in the room who have chosen to invest in the next generation, who has chosen to invest in others and to help them understand what it means to live out their faith like godly women. And John also, in the life of Gaius, challenging him to live out his faith more fully as he's leading in the church. And so in verse 1, he calls him my dear friend. In verse 2, he says it again, my dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. He calls him dear friend a second time. Some of your translations may use the word beloved. This was that loved child in the faith of the apostle John. And so he says, I am so thankful that you are living in the truth. I love you in the truth. And I hope that you're doing well. Here's a spiritual father who's concerned about the physical health of his protege. He says, I hope that you are doing well and that you're in good health. You know, there's a lot of moms in the room, and I know that you're concerned about the physical health of your children. This is why you have the vegetable battle at the dinner table all the time, right? You are not alone. We have the same struggle in the Woolman household. My girls are convinced that you can survive on bread and macaroni alone. And so we, we have to have the vegetable battle in our house because we want them to be healthy, we have the bedtime, or excuse me, the bath time battles in our house all the time. Why do I have to take a bath? Because you stink. <laughs> and we're not sending you to school because people will think that we're bad parents. I mean, let's be real, right? We, we have these conversations because we want our children to be healthy. And John wanted Gaius to be healthy, but he also wanted him not just to be physically healthy, but he wanted him to be spiritually healthy as well. And he says, I hope that you're doing well and that you're, you're in good health just as your whole life 
is going well. Some of your translations may use the phrase, just as your soul is going well, or that your whole person is going well. It's this, this idea of the spiritual man. John is concerned that Gaius is, both, Gaius is both physically healthy, but that he is also spiritually healthy. And that really becomes the catalyst for the rest of this letter. It's not about physical health, but it's about the spiritual health. And demonstrating to Gaius what it is that he's done is good, but that he must continue to do the right things and to not follow this negative example that we see John writing about in just a few verses. And so he points to him and says, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I hope that you're doing well. And then in verse three, look what he says. He says, for I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. John says, I was very glad. I was overjoyed. These were some itinerant preachers that were traveling and, and Gaius took time to love them well, to take care of them well. And, and they carried the testimony of Gaius's witness back to John. And John is hearing of the good work of Gaius through people who experience the love of Gaius as he's serving the church, as he's serving people. And John says, listen, I am, I am very glad for what I've heard because these people whom you did not know, you chose to serve and they've carried the testimony of your faithfulness back to me. I'm so thankful for that. You know, I was not gonna dwell on verse three in this message until about 30 hours ago when God made this passage come to life in our lives a little bit more. You know, we, our plan was to fly here Friday night. Jeff gave you a little bit of that backstory. We were coming Friday evening. Casey worked all day at the hospital. Uh, I picked the girls up from school. We dropped off the dog. We picked her up from the hospital to drive straight to the airport. I'm in gray sweatpants and a t-shirt, y'all. And we were gonna just get to the airport, go to Jacksonville, get to the hotel, let the girls relax, sleep, and then we would be here for a great day of activities yesterday. When we get to the airport, we finally get on the plane a little late, they get us out on the tarmac, and we wait. And we wait. And we kept waiting. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Are people gonna see the testimony of your faith in the way that you respond about your circumstances among them? All of a sudden, what John has said here to Gaius, he says, for I was very glad that fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity and the truth, how you are walking in the truth. Let me ask you this, can it be seen from others that you are walking in the truth? Can your fidelity, can your faithfulness to the truth of God be evident among you, among the other people in your life? Can people see Jesus in you? You know, we were put in a position to get to make that decision really clearly over the past few hours. We sat on that tarmac so long that they finally said, we need to go back to the gate. We can't get it fixed. We're gonna see if we can get maintenance out here. So we, they, they drive us for like 500 hours to the other side of the airport. We sit at the gate. There's some kind of latch outside the plane that they could not get fixed. And finally, that ominous voice came over the intercom from the captain's cockpit saying, well, folks... I'm gonna need you to get off the plane. And so we get deplaned in a different terminal. Um, we're just standing by, we're waiting. The captain and the crew's still there, so I think there's hope. They're trying to find another plane for us. 
And the time just keeps getting pushed and keeps getting pushed and keeps getting pushed. And I'm messaging the members of the search team because we've missed the rental car cutoff window. Like they're gonna have to come get us at this point. And finally, we see it switch from like 3 a.m. Um, to the next morning. The crew timed out and then they couldn't fly us even if they got a plane. And it was late enough that we couldn't leave and we had to be back early enough that we couldn't do anything else. And so we mashed chairs together. The girls slept in seats on the, in the airport. Um, my back will remember the DFW floor for the next five months, I think. Um, but we slept in the airport. We woke up, finally, we got to the new gate, eight o'clock flight, this is great, we're gonna get there. We get on the plane, everything's going good. And then that voice came over the microphone again. Folks, we've got another issue, completely different plane but we're gonna have to get you to get off again. And so after that, six more terminals later and a whole lot of other delays, a direct flight from DFW to JFK took, to JFK, to JAX, took three airplanes. And through that entire time, there were grumpy people. There were mad people. There were opinions flying everywhere. And I could hear John's words the entire time. Are people going to see the faithfulness to the truth in you. You know, my children, they, they were hijacked for this service. They're on campus, I promise. I just don't know where they are. Um, our children, they're six and nine. They were my heroes. They were wonderful. People kept coming up to us saying, your girls are doing so great. We're so impressed by them. And deep down inside, I'm thinking, I hope they think it's because we're such good parents. Um, <laughs> and, and yet, my girls were a testimony of what it means to how to respond to things well, and that just convicted me even more to have to behave myself in the airplane. And not to mention, I've been, I was reminded, Fruit Cove's a big church, and there's a good chance there's a church member on this plane somewhere. You better behave. <laughs> and and as, we're, as we're enduring all of these things, I kept remembering, and it was interesting, all of the things that I kept remembering in Scripture, it was things that John wrote. He writes in John 13, for this is how people know, will know that you're my disciples. By the love that you show toward one another, we see John, this theme of walking in truth through all of his writing. And really what he means by walking in the truth is this understanding of walking in love. That's the example of Gaius. That's what he's praising in Gaius right now. He's saying, you are demonstrating a faithfulness to the truth of God's word as you live out the truth of God's word in the way that you love others. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, but the fruit of the spirit are... Y'all did so much better than the first hour. I, it was a test, and nobody knew, if, nobody knew if they were allowed to speak. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, right? We know them all, but what's the first one? Love. It's a demonstration. You did it again. It's a demonstration of the work of God in our own life, and as we encounter the love of God, we can then live out the love of God in the world that we're called to serve and live in. Right? We love. We live. We do the things that we're called to do because Christ has first loved us. Scripture says he sent his son for us in our world, our lives, our very character should be changed by the work of Jesus. And we were challenged to live that out at the airport the same way that we're all challenged to live that out when we go to work. And we have that person. You know what I mean. There's that person at work. We have that classmate or that teacher or that neighbor. I've been warned about HOAs in St. John's County I know, I'm, I'm preparing myself, and you know what? I want you to hold me accountable. When we all go to lunch in just a little bit, and we're all standing in line because everybody beat you to the dinner because the preacher wouldn't shut up, I want you to hold me accountable too. 
I want you to help me recognize, listen, there is something more important than our circumstances, and it's the love of God and how we stay faithful to that and demonstrate that to a lost and dying world may very well impact our ability to speak the love of God into somebody else's life. And John says, I am so thankful for what I am seeing in your life. When I think about love, I think about my mom. And that's not a Mother's Day quote. My mom endured a lot of stuff. Could you imagine going through a bitter divorce and having your church tell you you can't serve in a platform-type ministry that she had? Being a single parent of three and a business owner and losing everything. I mean, there was a lot of things that my mom went through, and I, I got to see firsthand a fierce love for God and a fierce love for me and my siblings. The phrase mama bear applies to my mom. I mean, that, that was my mom. And you know, I, I left it kind of on a negative note earlier, but in my testimony, my, my parents divorced when I was 13, but 13 years later, when I was 26, I got to participate in my parents' remarriage. And yeah, praise God. And so my children have never known life with me, mommy, and granddaddy apart. And it's been a very special thing for us. But in that season as a teenage boy, in that season of watching my mom go through a lot of stuff, I saw somebody who had a fierce love for God and a fierce love for her kids, which now translates to a fierce love for her grandkids. She has, she has lived this out before us. And John says, I am so thankful for what I'm hearing. And then in verse four, he says this, read it with me. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, John wanted to hear that the people that he had invested in were walking in the faith that he had demonstrated before them. And I know that's the desire of my mom. I know that's the desire of the godly parents in this room. But you know, there was an expectation for truthfulness in my house growing up. There was an expectation that we were going to live the things that we said we believed in our house. And so though my mom went through a lot, that fierce love for God and that fierce love for us also turned into a fierce expectation that we were gonna do the right thing. When I was 16, I got my dream car. It was a, a new to me 1996 Toyota Celica. <laughs> Manual transmission, two door, red car. That thing was amazing. We got that car, brought it home on the first day. My mom parks it in the front yard. I'm standing on the porch with her. Now, I told her I was gonna share this story. She said she was gonna beat me, but she lives too far away and she can't catch me right now, so I'm gonna go ahead and share it. <laughs> She's watching right now, so I'm very sorry. But we're standing on the front porch and she looks at me and she says, do you see that car? Yes, ma'am. Do you see these keys? Yes, ma'am. Do you see where that car is parked? Yes, ma'am. Okay. If you are ever somewhere you are not supposed to be in that car, or if you are ever somewhere other than where you told me you were going to be in that car, we're going to park it right back here in the yard. You're going to hand me the keys that I'm about to give to you and you're gonna watch me burn it to the ground. <laughs> Y'all, that conversation happened over two decades ago. 
And I firmly believe that my mother would have burned my car to the ground. <laughs> there was a fierce expectation for truthfulness and I was married. Casey and I were married and I still had to fight the compulsion to call mom and check in and tell her where I was. It was an expectation that she had, but because of the trust and the freedom that she gave me, it was a mission of mine to honor her in that. And because of that example that I had, it was my desire to honor my mom in the same way that we see the example of men like John who are investing in the people like Gaius who have lived out their faith, who have demonstrated the grace of God, who have experienced the freedom that comes from God and the charge to live out our faith to the glory of God. I don't think Gaius would have done anything that would have gone against the teaching of John and the glory of Jesus because of the relationship that they had. John knew that if we're going to walk in the truth, it means we need to walk in love. And Gaius was living that out. And John is writing him saying, I am proud of you, but keep the faith. I am proud of you, but continue to steadfast in the things that I have taught you. You know, Jesus said, and we heard our children recite it earlier. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we're talking about this idea of walking in truth, this is really the idea of being in step with Jesus. You know, that's the, that's the theme of the search process that your search team has been on. Uh, it has been a long journey with them, and they have been thorough. They have looked for every skeleton in every closet, and I don't have any skeletons in any closet, and I was still scared that they were gonna find skeletons in closets. <laughs> Because they, they have been incredibly thorough and they've asked all of the hard questions and we've had a great time interacting with them, but the process the entire time has just been this narrative of we just wanna stay in step with Jesus. And that's been the prayer of my life for a long time. God, help me just stay in step with you. Don't let me run too far ahead like I have the tendency of doing, but don't let me drag too far behind to be stubborn either. Help me stay in step with you. And as we read these words, and as we think about our own life, this idea of being called to walking in the truth, this idea of seeing this apostle saying, it gives me no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. Let me ask you this, where does your joy come from? As parents, does it bring you joy to see your children walking in the truth? As parents, can your children see you walking in the truth? If we're gonna walk in the truth, we have to stay in step with Jesus, but the only way to do that is to know him, is to have a relationship with him. And the only way for the world to see the faithfulness to the truth in us is if we're walking with him. And so church, what does that mean for us? What do we do? What do we do with this? Right now on Mother's Day in 2023, where we're all hungry and trying to get ready to go to lunch, what does this mean as we walk back into our houses and have those spiritual conversations at the dinner table? What does it mean when we go to work tomorrow and we have to figure out how to handle that person or we go to our class and we have to figure out how to navigate that issue in school or that community challenge that we're in the middle of? What do we do? How do we, how do we respond in a way that's God honoring? I think there's three things. And like Gaius, we've gotta be walking in the truth and it's demonstrated really in three different ways. Here's the first one, we gotta love. We gotta love God and we gotta love others fiercely for his glory. But we've also gotta live. We have to live out our faith. Showing up on Sunday morning and warming a pew is not what we're called to do alone. Amen. This is an opportunity for us to come together really 
in an outpost of heaven in St. John's County. But we're not called here to hide. We're not called here to just come and get the warm fuzzies and go back and try to survive life the rest of the week. We're called to come here to sharpen one another, to encourage one another, to edify one another, and to disciple one another so that we can all, like John, two guys, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can continue to make an impact in the world that we're called to live in. And so we love, we live out our faith, and then we lead. And that's the hard part for most of us. It's easy to love, it's easy to be obedient, but when we are called to lead, it's a difficult step to take. But we're all called. Maybe not all as pastors and worship leaders and connect group leaders, but we're all called. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a commissioning on your life, not just to live your faith in front of people, not just to love Jesus with everything that you have, but to tell the world about him. Church, we're called to lead out in our community. We're called to lead out in our homes, parents. We're called to lead out in our families, senior adults. And we're called to lead out in our classrooms, students. We're called to lead out in our workplace, We're called to lead out so that people can see and to hear about the love of Jesus. And I just wonder if there's somebody in your mind today that you can think of who you know needs to hear about Jesus. I just wonder if there's somebody in your life or in your family who needs not just to see you live out your faith, but to share it with them. Maybe there are some of you in this room and you're here because your mom made you come. You're here because it's Mother's Day and this is what you do on Mother's Day Sunday. Maybe you're here and you really don't know why you're here, but it just felt like you needed to show up today. God had a tremendous purpose for you walking in those doors today. And maybe you're in this room and you're trying to see in your own heart and mind, man, do I even even know him? How can I walk with him if I don't even know him? What, is it, what does it really mean to know Jesus? In just a minute, I'm gonna pray. Pastor Tim, others are gonna be down front. I'm gonna be down front. We would love to share with you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. See, because we talk about his love a lot, but what that really means the love of Jesus, what that really means to us, it's not just something that should make us feel good. But it should compel us to give our entire being to him because of it. Scripture says that we deserve death. Scripture said that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve to know God because we're sinners and we're broken. But God loved us so much that he sent his son. And when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he paid a penalty that you deserved, that I deserved. That crazy teenager who was trying to maybe push the boundaries a little bit, knowing that his mom probably would have burned his car to the ground, but yet still tested the board boundaries every once in a while. I needed to recognize, man, Jesus died for me and my sin and my brokenness. And I praise God that I was a church kid, but I was a church kid still full of sin, still full of rebelliousness. And you know what God has revealed to me and I believe what God reveals to all of us is that there's nothing that you've done that makes you too far away from God's love. 
And so maybe you're in this place and you say, you know what, I just, I need to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna know what it means to be loved by Jesus. I wanna know what it means to have that assurance that one day, because of the work of Jesus, I can spend eternity with him in glory. And so when I pray, our team's gonna lead us in a song. Maybe God placed somebody on your heart and you just need to spend some time praying for them and for the opportunity to share your faith with them this week. But maybe you're in the room and you say, you know what, I need to, I need to get my heart right with God. I wanna have a relationship with Jesus. I just don't know how. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to share with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the goodness that you have demonstrated in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the testimony of the love of Christ for us and over us. Father, we praise you for the opportunity in this moment to just pause life and to acknowledge the King of Kings, to acknowledge that the creator of the universe knows me by name and wants to have a relationship with me. Father, I pray that if there are people in this room who don't know you, God, that they'll find the courage to come and ask that they'll find the courage to come and speak to a pastor or a leader and find out how they can have a relationship with Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room that you give us the courage to love you and to love others, that you give us the boldness to live out our faith the way that you have called us to in your scriptures, and that you give us the wisdom to lead in our communities and in our homes for your glory. And give us the faithfulness to the truth so that the world can hear about you, God. Father, whatever it is that you're doing in our hearts and in our minds in this place, I pray, God, that as we pray, as we sing, Lord, that you draw us, that you reveal our desperate need for you, and that, Father, you change us before we leave this place today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us?